Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525. Balance of Nature's fruit and veggie capsules contain 100% fine ripened fruits and vegetables, tested pure with no pesticides, fillers, or additives of any kind, and are the most effective whole food supplements on the market today. You might ask, how can over 10 servings of 31 different fruits and vegetables fit into six vegetarian capsules? Fruits and vegetables are on an average 85% water. Balance of Nature uses cold vacuum technology to remove the water, leaving only the whole food. We don't use Use any heat, air, or light drying methods that damage nutrients. Our cold vacuum technology maintains 99% of the fresh fruits and vegetables' original nutritional value. Along with diet and exercise, Mother Nature provides fruits and vegetables to help us maintain good health. To order, go to balanceofnature.com or call 1-800-246-8751. That's 1-800-246-8751. Use the special promo code PODCAST. I was molested by my stepfather during those years, and when I became aware that what was going on was not correct and not right, and I brought it to light, I was given the ultimatum to either stay and suffer the consequences or move out. In a culture as politically polarized and aggressively tribalized as ours, how do people change their minds? I'm Georgie Borman, a mother, author, and cultural commentator born and raised on the West Coast. I want to know what we can learn from people who've been on both sides of contentious issues, whether they end up on the right or the left. That's what this podcast is about. Welcome to the 180 Cast. Drug use and the wrong people and ended up staying in that environment for almost 10 years. Hello and welcome back to the 180 cast. I'm your host, Georgie Borman. Today's episode is focused on the kind of 180 that I think most of us can hardly imagine making. If if you were to think of just one thing to change about yourself or your life, it would probably be something like, I want to get out of debt. I want to pay off my mortgage. I want to lose weight. I want to be a better spouse. I want to find a higher paying job. Maybe you want to go back to school and get a degree. Those are the kinds of like personal transformations that we think about on a regular basis. I think, I I mean, I can only speak for myself, but I think most of us barely have any inkling of an idea of what it's like to try to free yourself from the bondage of addiction. It affects everything, mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, your social connections. And I think... A lot of times in our society, we see people who are addicted to substances as kind of on the margins of society, just sort of on the periphery of our consciousness. And when we finally get around to talking about drugs, it's, it's about policy, which, you know, makes sense. But even then, most of us are only casually paying attention to the subject at all, because for most of us, it affects us in a very marginal way. 
And I think that this is an important issue because it's about where do we start with the conversation? Are we going to start from a place where we're just talking about statistics and numbers and death tolls? Or are we going to start from an understanding of what is it really like to be addicted and how hard is it to come out of that addiction? My guest today is very brave to be sharing her story on a podcast like this and putting it out there on the internet for for anybody to hear. I can't imagine that this is an easy thing to talk about, but Tanya is here with me to talk about her journey into and out of addiction. If you haven't heard, this podcast is really focused on empathy and compassion and understanding where other people are coming from, because really, I think that is the basis of all good social connections, as well as on a broader level, how we approach these things from a a policy standpoint. So Tanya, thank you so much again for coming on the podcast. I, I mean, I really appreciate you, you being here and being brave enough to do this. Thank you for having me, Georgie. So from what you've told me, you were addicted primarily to meth, and now you've been clean for quite a while now. I was hoping that we could kind of start from the beginning um, and then talk about how you came out of it. How did you fall into meth use in the first place? Um, it was uh, home home life as a uh, from the age of thirteen to sixteen. I was molested by my stepfather during those years, and when I became aware that what was going on was not correct and not right, and I brought it to light, I was given the ultimatum to either stay and suffer the consequences or move out, and I chose to leave. And when I left that environment, I immediately went into a environment that involved drug use and the wrong people and ended up staying in that environment for almost nine, ten years. What was going through your head once you left? I think I was not... um, not thinking anything. I just wanted the pain to go away. I wanted the embarrassment to go away. Um, I just didn't want to feel any of that. I felt like a failure. I felt like I was um, somebody who'd been casted out by her family and that that I was the the bad one, that I was the dirty one. And I, I did not feel loved um, by my family and so I also went looking for love through other relationships and at, at the time it felt like it was the only choice I had. When it came to meth specifically was it something that was was offered to you as a way out or was it something that you thought just sort of on your own to seek out as a way to escape the pain? Uh, it wasn't something that was talked about. It was just uh, available, and it worked. It it made me not think those feelings or not think those thoughts or, or feel those feelings, and that's all I cared about at the time. Do you remember the, the first time that you tried it? Like, do you remember what was going through your mind? My first time trying it, I snorted it, and it was like the most amazing feeling ever. 
I, I really can't explain it. It's a euphoric feeling um, because it, it opens up all those senses and causes those those neurons and stuff to fire. And I only know this now after going through counseling and rehab, but it, it's unexplainable, the feeling. So do you feel like you were hooked from the first time you tried it? Oh, yes. What path did that take you down? It was, uh, it started out as just recreational occasionally. And then um, as time went on and I tried becoming uh, an adult, so to speak, and tried finishing school, I got partway through the school and realized that I I was missing something and I thought that the math was it. And so I just went to where I knew I could find it and proceeded to find it. And for a little while, it, it helped me get through, but ultimately the only thing I could think about was the math. And so that was my constant, constant goal was to go after it instead of finishing school. So I ended up dropping out of um, school again because of it. And I ended up falling in with some, it is a dark world. And you have moments of brief excitement and the, the process of trying to find it ends up taking over because you're constantly searching for that first feeling, that, that feeling from that the first use, you're constantly searching for that afterwards, and you'll do whatever it takes to get it. And, and most of that involved doing things that I wouldn't have done normally being sober. I was um, listening to somebody else a little while ago who who also came out of meth addiction, and he said it totally changed the way that his brain worked. Like, it was just a single track on what can I possibly do to get high again? And um, he said something quite quite eye-opening. I mean, I think it's really hard to understand where you're coming from, but when he said this thing, I was like, oh, that is the extent to which it imp- impacts your brain. And he said that he had a girlfriend at the time, and he was literally considering um, just thoughts ran through his head on whether he could pimp out his girlfriend to get high. Everybody talks about, you know, what drugs will make you do, but how would you explain it to somebody in terms of it being the primary control of your life? Because it seems like it affects everything, right? It it affects not just what you do to get high, but, but everything else as well, like your social connections. Like how did your life, how did your life change when you, when you really started going from, you know, occasionally using it to um, pushing yourself farther and farther along that line of addiction? It consumed my life. The people that I was around was people, like-minded people, all of them searching for that, that same rush, that same feeling, uh, not wanting to think or feel the normal everyday stuff, people that that normally could go and have one drink, for instance, and turn around and leave a a half-empty glass of alcohol on the table, we're not those people. I'm I'm the type of person that when I ingest something that's going to change the chemistry in my brain, I like that feeling. 
to tell you the truth, all I remember is the darkness and the shadiness of the environment and the lifestyle that I was so high most of the time that I can't tell you those details. But when you were in that environment, it didn't seem quite as bad or was it more just that the high was so high and the low was so low that you felt like you didn't have any choice but to chase the high as long as you could that's exactly what it was how long exactly were you in that place well from the time i uh, moved out at 16 until i was 23 was there something in your life that triggered you to to try and break the addiction? Or how did you end up coming out of it? I ended up getting pregnant, doing those things that, that you do when you're chasing that high. So how did that play out to whatever detail you're, you're comfortable with? Was it just you realized that you were carrying a child and, and you couldn't do that while pregnant? Or, or was it more of a larger change in perspective? I grew up in a um, Christian-based family, Baptist, and so I had some of those those same morals that carried me even through my addiction. As soon as I found out um, or figured out that I was pregnant, it was a conversation that God had with me and said, okay, it's time. And, and it just happened that day. I stopped drinking. I stopped smoking. I stopped doing meth. I stopped pot. Everything on the day that I found out that I was pregnant. And I managed to stay sober throughout my entire pregnancy. Have other people had similar experiences to, to that in terms of, of being able to essentially quit cold turkey because of a, a spiritual experience that they've had? Or do you feel like that's something that's more unique to your personal story. I've only I've only known one other person that's had that, that experience, and I'm married to him. So you were able to stay clean through your whole pregnancy. And then what happened? Uh, I ended up, um, I, did, I wanted to have my baby natural. I wanted it so bad that I endured four days of labor, and... It wasn't until the fourth day of labor that um, my mom and all my sisters were around me. My husband was there, and uh, my mom went and pulled the nurse over the counter and said, you need to get a doctor in here so we can take care of this. And I ended up having him C-section, and he survived beautiful, healthy baby boy. When he came out, he had gold hair and was just the most beautiful thing I had ever seen. And... uh, and then I remember looking at him, and then I remember waking up, and they had they had taken me to recovery, and I woke up in recovery, and had, they had me hooked up to morphine, and um, I was on the a run again. I didn't leave. I was still a mom, still a wife, but I was now going to my doctor searching for those pain pills and ended up addicted to pain pills. So you wanted to do your your labor naturally just because you were turned off by the idea of of putting more chemicals in potentially that you could be addicted to? Was that the reason? I knew it would happen. It's like having a sleeping dragon inside of you. So in this case, you so they hooked you up to morphine while you were still out, right? Because they knocked you out for the C-section? Right. They knocked me out after I had delivered, after they had gotten them out. They knocked me out. So then what what happened from that point, and how does this 
relate to your husband's story? I will tell you my story as it pertains to to how I, I married my husband. And drugs were a part of our past. We both mm-hmm. were in the um, math world, and we just ended up staying together. He he ended up doing some time, and while he was incarcerated was when I was still messing around and chasing um, chasing that high, and ended up pregnant by another man. When he got he got out before um, Jacob was born. And and he just adopted Jake as his own and has always been there. Our relationship it suffered greatly because of the the pills after after having Jake and I had I had postpartum depression and they had me on Prozac on as well as pain medication mm-hmm. and it kept me from feeling those feelings of being embarrassed about having another man's baby and because I still hadn't dealt with those those issues from my childhood it was all that stuff it, it had come up how could how could I be a good mom to somebody after doing the things and after being who I was instead of instead of facing those feelings I I numbed them by using those opioids so from that point where did you go from there? Um, of course, after time, I did some counseling and managed to um, get clean off the pills. And at the time, I didn't know that the pills were, were the issue. I, I didn't think they were an issue. You know, I figured, okay, I got clean off meth and quit everything else, and I can, I can quit this anytime I want. And I managed to get sober for a little while. During that time, we were living over in the Spokane area, and all my family is over here on the west side of the state. And so we ended up moving back over here. And when we moved over here, we moved into a big house, and I ended up, like, there was three years of health issues like it started with a a sprained ankle and then it went to broken collarbone i broke it twice i ended up having having seizures and other things going on because i had endometriosis and and it just fell right back into the whole using the pills again to deal with all these health issues which I had no control over the health issues They, they just happened i ended up having a full hysterectomy at, in 08, and then ended up having to have all my teeth removed because of the meth use. And so it was almost five years of using pills that were being prescribed to me. It was completely normal. But then it got to the point where I was taking more and more pills just to, to get that high. I had found that feeling again, or so I thought. When you first when you first do drugs and those endorphins are released into your brain, you will never find that high again, ever. I don't care who you are. So that's what I ended up doing, using those pills, chasing, looking for that high again and numbing those feelings, the, the insecurities of, of being, being a, a woman in her 30s 
having had all of her teeth pulled out and dentures put in uh, because of something that I had done to myself. So the, the effects of the meth were still dogging you years later? Yes, they were. And then after it had come, become apparent that the pills were an issue, the, the doctors noticing, we started doing other things. They sent me to a pain therapy clinic. They, um, they tried that route. I hadn't gone to rehab yet. Um, rehab, my first trip to rehab was in 2012, and that was... After, so I had stopped being able to get the pills. The doctors had cut me off. And so I turned to alcohol because it was easily accessible. And my my husband, having grown up in a family, um, an abusive family, uh, that revolved around alcohol, he really did not like the idea of alcohol being around. And so I was hiding it for fear that he would, he would take it away from me. My, I was hiding it from my family, fearing that they would take it away from me, and then I would have to feel and deal with all those feelings that I had been stuffing for so long. So when it came to the meth and the pills and the alcohol, you weren't just chasing a feeling so much as also running away from, from other things. Exactly, yes. So from that point with the alcohol, where did you go from there? I had gotten to the point where I would sneak out at, at night and um, go to the store and, and buy alcohol and, and bring it home. <laughs> and I think about it now, and, and yeah, it's a little bit funny, only because I've been able to laugh about it within the rooms that have helped me get sober. But I, I would do things like hide it in a sweatshirt to carry it into the house and hide it in the bathroom underneath the sink and taking a shower several times uh, during the day because I didn't want to smell like alcohol for fear that somebody would figure it out, brushing my teeth constantly, uh, hiding just hiding it. And one afternoon, I had hit that point where I didn't care, and that's a very dangerous place to be because... I figured death was going to be the only way. And because I was too chicken to kill myself, I figured I'd just do it with alcohol. And I had gotten to a point where I I didn't care if I was hiding it anymore and was drinking. And my husband came home and found me sitting outside in our front yard. And all he did was look at me and said, God damn it, Tanya, and turned around, went into the house and left. And that didn't even stop me. I I went to rehab almost three days after that, and I got sober going through rehab, and, and they teach us about what, what things do to our bodies and, and the chemistry that goes on and that it is a disease because it affects our system differently than, than some a normal person. And I managed to get out of that and, and stay sober for almost nine months. And then I had hit a, a spot in my life where my husband and my son had moved. So I was living by myself um, in a trailer by myself on my family's farm. It's the single white trailer that we were living in together. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't tell you exactly in detail what happened only because I, I don't remember. I just remember 
uh, waking up the next morning realizing that I had drank and I was off and running again. I back to sneaking it because I didn't want my family to know. And that went on for three or four months and it was continuous. The, the scenario was the same for about three years. It was that way. I'd get a few months and then I'd end up using again. And, and after working with a, a very close friend of mine, we discovered um, things, reasons why I was doing that and, and why it was continuing to get worse. And I ended up reaching for outside help counseling and finally getting into a counselor and actually talking to the counselor about what was going on instead of going in and, and kind of giving half answers or lying I, I was honest, and I was ready to overcome this, to, to deal with these feelings. But that didn't last long either because I ended up getting drunk again. And most of the time from 2012 until just recently, a lot of it is a blur because I, I was so fixed on trying to figure out why I could not stay sober and just putting one foot in front of the other. And if I messed up, I, I made sure to come clean about it and, and tell people. And I think it was during that time when I finally was realizing I had an issue. And I went back to rehab for a second time. And then I was living in the rooms of AA after my my second stint. And I had developed a very good relationship with my higher power and God has given me the ability to see now before things start to go bad how to fix those things and how to face them and not be scared of facing them. I have found so much freedom in dealing with all those issues that it it's given me a sense of well being I have peace now. I've recently gone back to school, and I'm just about finished up to get my GED, and and I don't have alcohol in my life, and I no longer fear leaving my house and whether or not if I'm going to be drawn to pull into a gas station and buy alcohol. That fear's gone. I'm able to look at myself in the mirror in the morning and be proud of who I am today, and I can sit here and talk with you and tell you these things, that my life went from being complete crap and living in the lowest of lows and feeling so insecure and so just downright yuck to this. And my life is so filled with blessings. And the day of my last drunk, I had gotten a job, and I all or nothing, I'm, I'm going to put in 100% while I got exhausted. And on my way home, I ended up stopping and buying beer and driving. And those are the things that you do when, when you're an alcoholic or an addict. It doesn't matter. All you're thinking about is not feeling that way anymore and those things take those feelings away and I ended up wrecking my car airbags deployed I walked home 
and I went in and I and I I was with it enough to to set my alarm and I got up the next morning and went to go look for my car and when I when I found my car it was off the road quite a ways and when I got to it there was a a stater and an MP military police standing up on the road trying to scratch in their heads. And I parked next to it, and they came to me, and they asked, is that your car? And I said, yes. And uh, they did a failed sobriety test, and and I, and I was up front. I told them, look, I, I've had a few months sober, and I just blew it all away. And uh, God's grace shined on me at that moment because they very well could have taken me because it was on military property and, and thrown the book at me, and they didn't. They let me go with a warning and a ticket for um, reckless driving. And um, it was at that moment that I I realized that it was God giving me one last chance. And I knew that if I didn't take it, that I might as well just kiss this life goodbye because I was headed down a road where there was no coming back from. And I walked away from that, and that was the last day I got drunk. I know that um, faith in a higher power is is part of the twelve step program, and you said that you uh, you grew up with a Baptist background. So, how did you come back to your relationship with God? Obviously, grace is a definitely part of your your conception. Is that I had an experience as a. It was shortly after I had left home that I moved in with a friend of the family, and she was uh, very Christian, followed the Bible um, religiously, and and really tried to help direct me. And for all my childhood, I had had um, ear issues and, and health issues, so my hearing wasn't that good. And I ended up going and being people praying over me. And I had a miracle happen to me that day. And I will never forget it. I went from having almost 30% hearing loss in my right ear to having 70% better hearing. And I believe that that was a miracle moment of God showing me his grace and his love and blessing me. And that I've always carried that with me. And it has it has helped, I think, drive me back to him. The one thought that keeps coming forward is that nobody's going to change until they're ready. And mm-hmm. I think uh, a big part of um, addiction for myself was I, I, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to face that stuff, and I had to go through those things. But I am so thankful for my family and those that are close to me that that even though they stood back watching me go through this misery, not being able to do anything about it, they were there. And that is what I believe our society needs. For those of us that are out addicts and alcoholics, we need compassion and understanding. And I... I really commend you for being able to to do this type of thing so that hopefully people that hear my story are, are better able to, to understand that um, really 
these people just are are lost. Lost. I I was lost. When you see an alcoholic or an addict, you're not seeing the person. You're seeing the drug or the alcohol because under other circumstances, if they did not have that in their systems, they wouldn't act that way. They wouldn't be that way. Yeah. Do you think that that contributes to the way that that addicts are often um, demeaned? When you see somebody on the street and whatnot and you make a snap judgment, you know, it's like you don't really realize that you are seeing the the effects of a drug and not the person themselves. People are just uneducated when it comes to that. When you look at somebody that is in the act of addiction and you see that they are struggling, um, the meth addict who is constantly can't sit still or, or just sick, uh, or the alcoholic who is uh, sitting on a sidewalk um, begging for money, offer to listen. Just ask them. Ask them their story. And most of the time, you will see what I'm talking about. You will, you will see that there is a person there. And what you are seeing physically is not who that person is. And so when you see an, an addict, think of it, if, it, if that was your family member, what would you say to them? Or would you just turn around and try to uh, ignore what's going on? Because by ignoring it, that's how we've gotten to where we are today. Tanya, thank you so much for taking the time to walk me through this. I know that this is such a, a difficult subject. It's a difficult subject in general, but for you personally to share your story um, means a lot to me. And I think it will mean a lot to the listener and the insight that you've brought out of your suffering, I think is really valuable and appreciated. You can follow the podcast on social media at 180 cast. If you find episodes like this helpful and insightful, please give us a rating or review on iTunes. And you can also catch up with the podcast, you know, at 180 cast, you can give us your feedback and we can talk more about these kinds of issues. You can also follow me at Georgie underscore Borman on Twitter. That is also a great place to ask me anything from how to cook Brussels sprouts to Calvinism to what's good on Netflix. So thank you so much for listening and I will meet you again next time on the 180 cast. Until then, seek the truth, share your values and listen with your heart and your mind. God bless. 